please, uh, please put your hands together and welcome Jeff and Marianne. Thank you, Pastor David. You guys are so loving, kind, generous. You're a blessing to Marianne and me, even though we're off doing what we do. Uh, this was beautiful. This was very precious, this prayer time here. Don't ever take it for granted. This is a witness to your community and to the world that Jesus Christ is real and alive and sent by, his, sent by our Father to minister the gospel to everybody. This was absolutely beautiful to me and heartwarming. The message this morning is about life and ministry being a relay race. And after I'm done preaching, I want to share a song and then after the song, I would like the live stream shut off. And then I want to show a video about something that Marianne and I are walking into in a, in a month's time. And it is not for public information other than for the saints. You follow me, right? Okay. Life and ministry is a relay race. You know, the Olympics are happening now, right? Uh, so that's what brought to mind that the relay race. And I want you, if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy. This was the Apostle Paul's last letter before he was executed in Rome by Emperor Nero. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 8, and I'm going to read that, but we're going to take a look at chapter 3, actually a little bit through the whole letter, okay? So this is not exegesis, but I, I just want to walk us through what the Apostle Paul was writing as his last words, which reveal his priority to his son in the faith, who was a young single pastor in the great city, the cosmopolitan city of Ephesus. So chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And in my Bible, the ESV, the chapter is titled, Preach the Word. And that's what we'll do this morning. Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Capital D, capital D, on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
The purpose of 2 Timothy, again, as I said, is his, fi his final letter to his young, to this young pastor, his beloved son in the faith, who is pastoring, again, I'm just repeating myself, the church in Ephesus at around 66 or 67 A.D. And this is during Paul's second imprisonment in Rome. And he's awaiting execution. He knows it's coming. Paul was virtually alone, abandoned in prison. And his only loyal friend, his beloved colleague, Dr. Luke, is with him. This letter is to pass on Paul's baton, relay race, to pass on his baton of ministry leadership to a new generation of church leaders. He also asked his friends to visit him one last time and to bring his books, especially his papers, possibly parts of the Old Testament, the Gospels, and other biblical manuscripts. Since this is Paul's last letter, it is tender, somber, and reveals his heart and his priorities. What are his priorities from this letter? What can we discern? It is sound doctrine, healthy biblical doctrine, steadfastness of faith, confident endurance in the face of opposition, and a lasting love for God and for one another. Perhaps the key verse of this book is 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself. And again, remember, he's writing to a young pastor. Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth the next generation. Paul and Timothy were active in preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul encouraged Timothy, again, his true child in the faith, his beloved child, to not only run with the baton of truth, but also to train others and pass on to them the baton of sound doctrine and enthusiasm for Christ's mission. And what is Christ's mission? It is the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Timothy's mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois, were early Jewish converts to Christ, possibly through Paul's ministry in their home city of Lystra. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 16. They had communicated their strong faith. And this is an encouragement to the moms and the grandmas, the grandparents, the parents and the grandparents. They communicated their strong faith in Christ to Timothy, even though Timothy's father was most likely not a Christian. 2 Timothy 1.5 says, I, Paul is writing again, Timothy, I am reminding you of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you also. Friends, let's not hide the truth. 
and the light and the salt of being a follower of Christ at home, among our family members and friends. Let's share our faith and show by our transformed lives in Christ, by our words and our good deeds, to our parents, to our spouses, to our children, our siblings, our relatives, and our friends. You know, people can argue our, test our words. They can argue with our testimony, but they cannot argue our transformed life. Let's be sure that our new life in Christ does back up our words. That we are genuine, we are authentic, we have integrity. That our words and our lifestyles match. Four generations. Second Timothy 2.2 You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We see four generations in that one verse. If we as leaders of our churches, this church, the leaders of this church, would consistently apply Paul's exhortation to Pastor Timothy to teach, to equip, to train, and then commission Christ followers to go out and teach other Christ followers, check me out now, check this out, who in turn were commissioned to teach others the kingdom of God would expand among the nations both near and far. We are in a relay race. Disciples of Jesus need to be equipped, trained, and commissioned to pass on the baton of faith, and ministry, as well as ministry leadership, to others who are showing a God-given desire and potential to step into leadership positions. Our work is not done until new believers in Christ are taught to make other disciples of Christ. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. This is not about making converts. This is all about making disciples who will then reproduce and make other disciples. That, my friends, is the Great Commission according to Matthew. Paul's charge to Timothy during difficult times. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9. And I'm not going to read the text, but 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 9 describes the Ephesian culture of the first century, which is much like Paul's description of the Roman Empire in Romans 1, 18 to 32. Though Paul's description, though Paul described the deterioration of the cultural context of Ephesians, it is also very prophetic. Paul described most cultures of the world over the past 2,000 plus years, including ours today. We can be sure that as we get closer to Christ's second coming, godlessness will increase worldwide. 
as followers of Jesus, regardless of when and where we live. We must emphasize, underlined with red ink, we must align our beliefs and our actions with what God has revealed in the Scriptures. And by the way, God is not random. He is absolutely, totally sovereign and providential. And we are alive today, right now, by God's decree. There never were good old days. We're, li we're alive right now. Let's be sure we are seizing the opportunities. We are grasping the Kairos moment, that the, the opportunities to do good and to witness that God brings our way. Let's be alert and alive in Christ. Second Timothy 3, 10-13 describes Paul's struggles in the ministry. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 encourages Timothy to continue in what he had learned from his mother, his grandmother, and then, of course, his father in the faith, the Apostle Paul. Stand firm in the Scriptures. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. The God-breathed, inspired Word of God, the Holy Bible. All Scripture not some, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does inspired mean? Inspired means breathed out by God because scripture comes from God it is profitable in many ways, ultimately leading us to righteousness, maturity, and service. All scripture refers to the Old Testament, and by implication, it also, imply, it also implies to the writings of the New Testament. The Bible, listen, the Bible is not a collection of stories, myths, fables, or merely human ideas of what we conjure up in our imagination of who, of who God is and what he's like. And we have a lot of weird ideas out there. If we want to know God and what he is like, this is where we learn it. Through the Holy Spirit, God himself, God revealed himself in his plan to certain believers who wrote down his message for his people. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. This process was called or is called inspiration. The writers wrote from their own personal, from their own, from their own person, personalities, their history, and their cultural context. Although they used their own minds, their own talents, their own personalities, language, and style. They wrote exactly what God intended for them to write. Scripture, both Old and New Testament, is completely trustworthy because God was 
in full control of its writing. The words of the Bible are totally authoritative for our faith and our practice. The Holy Bible is God-breathed, and we need to continually read it and diligently apply its teachings to our lives for guidance. The Bible is our standard for testing everything that claims to be true. And I do mean everything. The Bible guards us from false teaching and instructs our conduct. It is our only source of knowledge about how we can be saved from eternal death and have eternal life by having a personal, experiential relationship with God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. God, through his Bible, through the Word, by the help of his Spirit, wants to teach us what is true and to equip us to live for him. Question. How much time do we invest? And I use the word invest. How much time do we invest in reading, studying, meditating on, and praying through God's Word? We need to do this regularly in order to know God and to grow in our faith and to be confident in our life in Jesus Christ. As we invest our time in the Scriptures, we must remember what the purpose is. And the purpose of investing our time in the Scriptures is to equip us to do well, to live right, to know God. We should not invest our time in the Bible simply to have more head knowledge or that we can win an argument with somebody. We need to invest our time in the Scriptures and in prayer so that we will grow up in Christ and know how to serve Him in our very messy, broken, dark world and live victoriously. Our knowledge of God's Word is only useful if it leads us to a personal relationship with Christ and strengthens us in Him and helps us to do good. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. This exhortation from Paul to the young preacher is actually for all of us, but especially for leaders of ministry. Be steadfast and endure. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The solemnity of Paul's charge as he sits in a dungeon in Rome waiting to be beheaded is heightened by referring to living before the gaze of God. I am well aware that God is watching. And as a preacher, 
He's listening. And at the end of the day, there's only one audience that matters. And that's God himself. And Paul is writing knowing that he is living in God's gaze. And he is living according to the fact that God is judge. And the reality of Christ's coming, his second coming. And to the reality of God's present reign over his kingdom. Verse 4, 2 could be the life verse of any pastor, any church leader, any worship leader, any Sunday school teacher, VBS teacher, Bible school or seminary student. The word is especially the gospel, the good news. But it includes the entirety of biblical doctrine taught by Paul and by the other apostles and is equated with sound or healthy teaching. We ought to be able to be so saturated in the scriptures and know God so personally that we can smell bad teaching. It's a spiritual sense we develop. And we need to be like the Bereans who will check out the teaching in the Word of God. Application. It was important for Timothy to preach the gospel and sound doctrine so that the Christian faith could continue spreading throughout his world. And today, we believe in Christ because people like Timothy were faithful to their calling, to their mission, and to the commissioning to ministry. It is vitally important for followers of Jesus to spread the gospel. Multitudes of people across our streets here in Esterville and around our world do not know Christ. And he is coming soon. And he wants to find his people faithful, ready for his return. It may be inconvenient or even dangerous to take a stand for Christ or to tell others about him, but preaching and teaching God's word is the most important responsibility that the church and her members have been given. This is not a country club. This is not a good old boys get-together. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ called out to be separate from the world, but to, not to be separated from involvement in the world as salt and light and ambassadors for Christ. As a follower of Jesus, our identity is defined by the scriptures, not by our church. Oh, now, now I'm going to do a little meddling. Our identity is defined by Jesus in the scriptures. Are we, are we on that page? Our identity is not defined by the church we attend. Are we okay with that? Our identity is not defined by our favorite preacher. Do we, do we have that? Our identity is anchored 
in who Jesus Christ is. Not in who I say I am or who others say I am. Are we there? Transformation. Transformation of the heart leads to transformation of what I say and what I do. Transform people in Christ, help others be transformed in Him. Let us be ourselves in Jesus. We are all unique. We have all been given a certain wiring, if you will, a personality, spiritual gifts. We all have learned talents. We have been given material resources. We are all unique. We are not clones of one another or of some preacher. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ, by the way. Absolutely gorgeous. Color, language, men, women, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. It's beautiful. The bride of Jesus Christ. May our words and deeds show others that we truly are transformed in him. Not perfect. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I am talking about a changed life. Do you know Christ as your Savior? If yes, is your life transformed and transforming? Do you know and continually study and apply the truth of the Bible? Or is our culture squeezing us into its own mold? It is so subtle. We are counterculture people. We are swimming upstream. If you don't know Christ, today could be your day. And I don't mean mouthing some prayer. I mean truly repenting of sin, turning away from sin, and trusting Jesus Christ only as Lord and Savior. I mean a new start. A new life is what I mean. Paul was approaching the end of his leg of the race. He says, I'm ready. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. And we know Paul's life when we read the scripture. It was a fight. And he fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also all who have loved disappearing. Paul was faithful, and he fulfilled his ministry, and he had no regrets. He certainly had remorse over some of his pre-conversion acts of violence against believers in Christ, but Paul knew he was completely forgiven in Christ. When Paul was converted to Jesus Christ, he knew he was forgiven. And he put his past behind him and he pursued the goal, 
that was put before him, I said, I, he said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was looking forward to receiving, quote, the crown of righteousness. And he knew that he had received eternal life the moment he trusted Christ to be his redeemer. And he had become righteous through faith in him. The moment Paul lost his head, not figuratively, literally, he experienced, he knew he would be with Jesus Christ. And he would be waiting for that glorious day when Christ would return and place the victor's crown on his head and all the heads of true believers in Jesus. I close with this. The spiritual health of any church is determined in a large part by the character and the attitudes of its leaders and therefore the fruitfulness of its ministry. God's people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, are called to be set apart from the world, but not from reality. We are set apart people, and the church is not meant to be an isolated bunker fending off the attacks of the enemy. But we are to be a refuge, a light, a lighthouse for lost people, wandering people, people who are looking for fellowship, looking for community, looking for accountability. And they want to be a part, and we should be, and they want to be a part of a diverse community of faith. This, this describes, this picture describes a, a healthy family, a healthy family or community of God. I want to I show up, play a song now. It's called Behold Our God. And this shows where we're headed as we run our lap of the race and we hand on the baton to God. And then when it's all said and done, this is where we will be. Would you play the song, please? <laughs>